Hey y'all, I'm Kua. And this is Kendra. And this is the Black Gems Dive In Podcast. Podcast about inclusive cultures and everything DEI. Kendra, what's up? Hey, Kua. How's it going? It's been going well. How's your week? It's going. I, I just can't believe we're mid-October already. I know. It, the time is flying. Flying. I'm like, man, how did, I don't know. I think with the pandemic and everything going on, it feels like this has been like multiple years <laughs> within <laughs> right. within a year. So. Right. We're coming to a close though soon. And we have voting coming up. We have yes. election day. I mean, so we're, in the, we're in the midst of election. We're in the midst of elections yeah. currently. I think they said last week over 5 million people already voted. And they said this is like record-breaking numbers yes. in many cases where, you know, folks are coming out and voting early. Right. And trying to get out. And right. I, I guess, you know, you can give credit to the pandemic in that way too, where people are just trying to find ways you know, to get out here, to put their vote in. Right, and right. Make it count. And they wanted their voice to be heard. So. Right, right. Um, so in, in this week's news, we found out a few things, right? So yes. we heard that. Let's dive, let's dive right let's in. Let's dive right into our to hot, the hot topic. topic. Right. So this week, Shaq <laughs> <laughs> said that he voted for the first, the time, first time ever. The first time. So Shaq came out. Um, he has a podcast. It's called The Big Podcast Uh with Shaq and said that I voted for the first time and it feels good. And I guess the background music was what he considered presidential music. Uh, so his co-host John Kincaid came out and said, I can't believe it. And he went on to add that he was surprised that Shaq had never voted in an election before. Um, 48 years old, 48 years old voting for the first time. And I know we talk about this all the time, but a lot of us don't have the luxury not to vote. <laughs> Not to vote. So, and even if we look at the in, the NBA as a whole, yeah. right? So before all this happened, during the pandemic, they went in the bubble, all this um, social unjust and unrest. And they have said that 20% of NBA players eligible, for, well, 20% of the NBA players who are eligible to vote mm -hmm. were registered. 20%. 20%. When was that? This was back in May and June. 20%. So back in May and June of this year. Of this year. 20% of the current NBA population were registered to yes, vote. Yes, yes. Wow. 20% wow. of eligible voters. So we know there's some people who are not eligible okay. to vote, but 20% of eligible, eligible voters were, were registered, were registered to, vote. to vote. And so did they give an update in terms of yes. what that looks like now? So the new update is 90%. Wow. 90%. Wow. So we see an increase over time. And that's just a direct result of everything that we're seeing. Um, yeah. And so Chris Paul, actually, who is the president of the MBPA, uh, which is the governing body for NBA, mm -hmm. uh, he has said, I'm so proud of our guys because I'm proud to announce that we have over 90% of our league registered to vote. Paul said 15 teams are 100% registered. Wow. And the jobs that guys have been doing just to be a little bit more educated on the situation Situation and getting people out, recruiting poll voters or poll workers, excuse poll me, workers, okay. and things like that. The bubble has been an unbelievable blessing. Our players are continuing wow. to do the work, and we're grateful, and we're going to keep working. That's well. So, despite what we heard in terms of you know Shaq coming out, and the reality is, he said that he didn't want to be a hypocrite. He's been right. um, tapped to do a lot of these voting campaigns. Mm -hmm. And so because that was the case, he's like, you know what? I should register and vote right? Um, based on that. But I think to hear 
that there's been some good out of this is it, it feels a little bit better. It feels better, right? And we know that a lot of arenas and practice facilities are now turning into um, polling places in November as well. So you can't ignore what's going on. Um, and a lot of the NBA players and um, athletes as a whole are seeing um, just you know what's been going on, and so they want to have that that influence and that right. change. Right, man. I mean. I guess better late than never, Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> right, but a lot of people are probably looking at this and saying, wow, if Shaq is openly admitting that this true, is the first time true. that he's voted, I should probably register and vote as well. So for those who are listening, um, we have you know our, uh, New York State mm-hmm. um, voting or registered, the date to register a vote has closed. Right. However, um, early voting is imperative. We know that voting suppression is real. Yes. Um, and so the dates to vote early is October 24th through November 1st. Again, early voting is October 24th 4th through November 1st. And that's for New York State. For New York State. Okay. Yes. And okay. Election Day, we know, is November 3rd. So get out early. Get out and vote. Um, because, again, like we said, we're seeing, I mean, in other states, we're seeing the effects of voter suppression. Yeah. We know yesterday, um, Monday in Atlanta, we had... Um, we heard that a lot of people waited up to 11 hours yeah, to vote. Yeah. And so that's the thing. I mean, they got people bringing out chairs and food and trying to encourage people to stay in line. But the reality is, although I applaud those people and I think that it's awesome that they're willing to stay and wait in line, the reality is nobody should have to wait 11 hours. 11 hours. Can you imagine? I mean, that's more than a work shift. <laughs> right. To to. Cast your vote. Exactly. It's, it's ridiculous. Exactly. You know what I mean? So I know we got to do better. We do. We got to do. do better. We do. So we'll just, you know, I say wait to see how the election pans out. But again, there's no waiting. We have to we have get to, out, have to now, get out and vote. And, right. So get out Woo. the vote, y'all. Get it on out. Um, so we are on episode four. Yes. And we have a special guest with us we today. We do. I'm super excited about this. Yes. So Jasmine Fluker. Jasmine. <laughs> so um, a little bit about Jasmine. Um, she is currently the founder and chief executive executive officer. Okay, CEO. CEO of the Pivotal Paradigm Project. She is also the uh, managing director for programs for Teach for America. Um, she is also very involved um, in our in our Buffalo community, and I can definitely attest to that. Um, she has strengthened local partnerships with Buffalo Public Schools, Canisius College, Urbanly Young Professionals, NAACP Buffalo Branch, West New York Service Collaborative. Let's go. Uh, Literacy West New York, Jericho Row, and the list goes on and on. Um, so, Jasmine, you are thoroughly invested in our community. Um, and then in 2019, you also were honored by the Buffalo Business First Journal as part of 30 Under 30. Class. Yes. So we know that that is very, um, is a great recognition for our young leaders and um, community advocates. So, Jasmine, your bio is really long. Yes, girl. <laughs> that just goes to show exactly, you know, your impact in our Western New York, Western New York community. So thank you for being on our show today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited. Oh. We're excited, too. Yes. Ooh. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about the Pivotal Paradigm Project? So the Pivotal Paradigm Project is a full-service diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm. We are everywhere online. I'm sure we'll plug it at the end. And so basically the work we do is with schools, organizations, and nonprofits. Um, And we do anything that helps create inclusion for companies, and we're really invested in especially people of color, employees, and staff members in companies and trying to make sure that everybody's going to work and feeling safe and supported. 
That's really important. And I'm excited because I'm actually working with Jasmine yes. on a couple of projects. Yes. So it's awesome to come full circle, have you on the show, right, and chat with you about you know the work that you're doing with your company. Um, but it's important, right? Like we we gotta we gotta raise awareness around these initiatives and and find support through partners through um, consulting firms to do to do the work. Right. So Jazz. How did the Pivotal Paradigm Project come about? Like, where? How, what was your vision, and how did you execute that fully? Um. Okay. So, I've been doing some. I've been doing equity work probably. So teaching is equity work. That's yes. that's first. So like I was already doing equity work as I was teaching. So I was leading a cohort, um, Teach for Liberation, and I was doing some organizing in New Orleans, and when I um. When I moved here, I was kind of still, like, the work that I do at Teach for America is very much equity-based work anyway. Mm. And so people had kept pulling me, like, do this one thing or, um, like, let me grab a cup of coffee. And I was like, oh, I need to get myself together. So I think it's important, like, not just for me, but all of us, if, like, people are pulling you to, like, talk about your talents, then you need to monetize. Yes. And, And I think, like, not to say, like, everything you do has to be monetized, but I think a lot of times we, I know we're going to get into, like, the topic, but I think a lot of times we have, like, talents and we don't really step out and, like, charge the uh-huh. actual work uh-huh. um, for the work that we are doing. And I thought it was really time to formalize, especially, like, I know, it, like, my organization kind of open after the unrest, but... Uh-huh. Actually, when I got back from Kenya, I was, like, I was doing work in Kenya and, like, teaching people about equity work and, like, in the context of education. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, if I'm doing this across the world, then I need to come home and get myself in order. And so I know you, and you're going to plug this uh, towards the end, but you have a podcast as well. Um, And I remember one of the episodes you talked about, y'all need to pay me. Yes, the first one. The first episode. Jump off the porch, right. (laughs) Like, you know, so I think that goes to say, right? Like, a lot of times people want to pick your brain Mm -hmm. or ask you a couple of questions or can I get your opinion on X, Y, Z? But then, you know, you you took that next step and said, okay, it's time. It's time that people pay me for picking my brain, right? Right, Right. because your worth is just as good as anyone else's. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, you know, that led us into our topic and discussion today, and that is imposter syndrome. Um, Jasmine actually is going to be speaking at a uh, seminar in Rochester. So I'm going to be speaking for the Interrupting Racism Conference um, hosted by the Rochester Urban League. Everything is virtual, so you can definitely buy tickets online, but um, it's with the Rochester Urban League, but it's going to be virtual. And what's the topic? What's the topic that you're talking about? Oh, my topic is Beyond Imposter Syndrome, and I'm talking about internalized racial oppression. Mm. And we just dropped a podcast episode today about internalized racial oppression. Mm -hmm. I didn't plan it that way. Hey, I know, it, it just, worked out, right? It just happened to work out. <laughs> it worked out. So I'm just going to give a little bit of a definition of what imposter syndrome is. Um, you've likely heard it a lot. You know, celebrities have talked about it. Michelle Obama actually came out and talked about it and confessed to having um, suffered from it. But it's a term used to describe the psychological phenomenon of intense feelings of self-doubt to the extent where people feel like a fraud, um, either in their personal or professional lives, and usually it's in your professional life. So 
Uh, the mentality is thought to be particularly prevalent in young people. There was a survey that came out in 2017, and this is uh, through the Independent, the UK Journal, claiming that a third of millennials have imposter syndrome due to feeling intimidated in the workplace. Um, but they often talk about how women usually feel imposter syndrome as well, and it describes feelings of severe inadequacy. So self-doubt, you feel like a fraud, you feel like you don't belong here, you feel like you might not have earned the, the position or power that you've gotten. And so I just want to give people a little bit of that background um, because you probably all felt like that at some point. So Jasmine, you know, the, the conversation that you're going to have um, at the uh, racism summit, what is that? What does that look like? And, and how do you kind of talk about imposter syndrome? So um, for the summit information, I'm mostly like talking about how as people of color, we are situated and feeling like we have imposter syndrome. Okay. But it has a lot to do with like how we are socialized, our intersectionality, mm. and just like the way that we carry and the way power is allocated just feel like we have yeah. imposter mm -hmm. syndrome, mm -hmm. but just like really breaking that down. Okay. So, I mean, I'll, I'll come out and say I've had, I've, I've definitely right. had imposter syndrome. I have too, for sure. Yes, me too. For sure. You know, so it's something that I think most of us have felt. And I think to your point, that intersection, mm -hmm. um, it makes it, it makes it tougher. It makes it tougher. So not only, and we've talked about this in, in past shows, we show up as black women, mm -hmm. right? So having both of those um, identities happening at the same time definitely puts an emphasis on on that right, feeling. Right, right. And I always feel like, I mean, I have imposter syndrome, syndrome almost every day. Okay. But, um, but I know what makes me know that I'm worth showing up and worth being in the room is the fact that I have the credibility, number mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. I'm always putting my, my foot, my best foot forward. And I know that, you know, the people who invited me in the room know that I have something to give. Yeah. So that's what kind of helps me get over imposter syndrome. But I'm just interested to know, like, what what are some of the things that help you get over some of that, that doubt? Hmm. I would say, like, if you're talking about getting over imposter syndrome, I think, like, some of the things that, like, I would say in my toolkit, it's like every time you do a project, I think you should chronicle, like, what you've done. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, you should just keep, like, some type of brag folder, like, this is the work that I've done. I think there was a study, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but I think black women only apply for a job when it's, like, is it 70% yeah. of, like, the criteria? Yeah. So, like, I think you should just be navigating the world as a white man, like, <laughs> <laughs> like create space for me, I deserve to be here right. and I'm showing up as myself because I think like that's what's happening a lot of times we're shrinking ourselves yeah and, and like we're fitting into like what society is telling us to be and I think it's really important for us to like take up space all the time yeah mm -hmm. I think that's a good point too um it makes me think about conversations I w I've had with my friends I remember I think it was an undergrad we had a whole bunch of friends and there was someone in particular who was I think he was in a master's program. He's doing MBA and going to get his MD2 or some type of program. Um, but he told us, right, there was a job at a bank mm -hmm. he was not qualified to apply mm -hmm. for, and he did it anyway and got the job. Mm -hmm. And I just remember sitting there like, wow, I would mm -hmm. not, I definitely would not have applied to that right. role because oftentimes, like Jasmine said, we're looking at do we fit, okay, they need this specific experience. Do we fit categories right. one through 10 that they put on the job description 
and not selling ourselves up to say, right. look, we've had experience doing um, a particular thing. Mm -hmm. This can fit or shape that narrative right. of what they're looking for. Right. It's those transferable skills that we always right. talk about as well. Right. And those experiences that you bring to the table. And a lot of times, too, in my experiences is when I apply for a job that I think that I'm not going to get. Yeah. I always bring more value to that job mm -hmm. based off of my experiences and based off of what I bring to the table. Because a lot of times you have these job descriptions that just sit with HR and based off of, you know, what they see in the world and the workplace and right. all this stuff. But at the same time, it's like, okay, they have this generic job mm -hmm. description. Mm -hmm. So apply for it anyways because you can bring so much more value to that job. Right. You know, but of course it's always easier said than done, right? Yeah. Right now I feel confident talking a big game, but as soon as sometimes I go into the room, I end up shrinking. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and yeah. I know that's something that I personally have to work on as well. You know, what's interesting, too, I think, um, when you do some of the research about imposter syndrome, they say that high achievers yes. also suffer from imposter syndrome more than anyone else. That's and so I know true. that's been something that I've had to struggle with because oftentimes you minimize right. what you've been able to do, right? So right. it's like, okay, yeah, I did this. Yeah, I did that. But mm -hmm. to me, eh. Yeah, it's or because that that's something that you were you wanted to do or something that you needed to do, right? right? It's not something that you thought that, okay, well, I'm going to actually go and get this degree because I'm trying to achieve a certain level. It was the expectation, number one. At least it was the expectation yeah. out of my parents. You were yes. not just going to have a high school degree. You were going to get a bachelor's. And then I also knew that in order to survive as a black woman, I needed to get my master's, yes. right? Yes, And so it was just the expectation. Mm -hmm. And so when you go to a job interview or when you apply for a job, you're just like okay well that's just you know that's just something that i i did but right. you know that actually brings value right but see we don't we don't value ourselves in that same way i think so jazz mm -hmm. makes a great point about right. showing up like we belong here mm -hmm. you know? i think it's hard to like the first part is like applying so like we got to put ourselves out there but yeah. i think it's hard to it's like articulating the actual work that we have done. Mm. Like, we're just socialized, like, black men as well, but as black women to, like, really, like, society has told us, like, we don't really deserve all of these things. Mm -hmm. So when we get to the interview, and we may have done, like, a million projects, but the way that we are talking about the work that yes. we have done, yes. it really kind of sets us back. I've seen that a lot, like, in my role at Teach for America, we interview people all the time, like, to join our program. And, like, it's really hard for applicants of color to talk about their leadership mm -hmm. development. Like, um, they'll talk about, like, other things they've done and, like, how they've worked in supportive roles. But to say, like, mm -hmm. I led this project, mm -hmm. these are the metrics that I did, I just mm -hmm. haven't seen, like, that has been a barrier. And, like, when I think about recruitment, I'm like, we have to cultivate people into, like, how to talk about. That's a good point. Like, the way that they have done things. Why do right. you think that's the case in terms of, like, you talk about that social, like, the socialization of um, people of color, especially black people. Is it because we look at things from, like, a collective lens? Like, what is that... What is that barrier that prevents us from talking about what we've we, we've been able to achieve? I think, and I was going to say in the context of America, but just like anti-blackness is global. Mm -hmm. So that's a global experience. Mm -hmm. I think when you think about anti-blackness, like in America, like since the day that we were born, the messages like in unintended or intended have been like, we don't deserve this mm -hmm. specific thing. Mm -hmm. And so like when you think about so I'm 29, so I've had 29 years of messaging telling me that I don't deserve right. this part of society mm -hmm. or I don't deserve this part of, like, where I am. And, like, in, in the inverse, it's like 
white people have been absorbing like a uh, 29 years that they do deserve, okay. like, taking up this space. And I think when you think about all those messages, stereotyping, yeah. and, like, microaggressions that you may have already experienced, like, in the job pool mm-hmm. or, like, already, like if you're an internal hire, like, mm-hmm. already in that company or, like, biases that mm-hmm. you've run across, mm-hmm. like, you running that in your mind, like, yeah. oh, like, right. I really don't, like, when I get to the interview, I really don't feel, like, and... I really don't feel like I deserve it. And I think, like, for me, that's why we have to, like, take control of our own information. Because it's, it's like, we live in a place, like, I want to quote, I want to quote it correctly. I want to say it was Brittany Packnett that said it. But, like, we live in a place where, like, racism is, like, smog. Like, we're breathing Mm -hmm. it in every Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. And so, like, anti-blackness global and it's like smog like we're breathing it in every day so like every day whether i turn on the tv and it's a commercial yeah. and it's a biracial family on every commercial like <laughs> how am i feeling as a dark-skinned woman yes. i'm starting to feel mm. devalued yes um and so like all of that messaging like throughout your life like that shows up when you're in the workplace and that right. shows up when you're trying to like secure new employment that's a, for sure right. that's a really good way and what i'm finding to too now in 2020 is because of everything that's happened, we feel wanted, you know, in these professional spaces. And all of us are DEI practitioners. And, of course, everyone wants these DEI, um, uh, you know, activities, and they want to do trainings, and they want to do so many different things. They want to, you know, what books should we learn? Right. But at the same time, we feel wanted. And for me personally, I don't know sometimes how to deal with that. Mm. Because due to that smog, like you were saying, you have all of these... um, intentional and unintentional uh, so the messages that are being thrown at you for years. Right. And now all of a sudden, oh, we want you. Right. And now I'm showing up flip and the, again. Flip the switch. Flip the, yes. And now all of a sudden, I'm standing here in a room discussing all of these things that we were told to suppress, mm-hmm. not talk about. Yeah. It was not, you know, ta- it's something that's taboo. Like, all of these different things. Now, still having that imposter syndrome, right. how do I show up every day? You know, and put my best foot forward. The interesting thing I think about that, too, is you start to see more articles talk about how they're hiring people of color in these roles mm-hmm. and giving them <laughs> they're giving them all types of issues. Some some are being hired into um, companies that have had issues mm-hmm. and they're trying to come and fix those issues. Um, but some people are just being hired without the proper training, mm-hmm. without the proper backing. They're just like, OK. We're hiring you. You're a person of color. You go out there and make all of our employees of color happy now. Mm -hmm. And I think that might also add to some of the imposter syndrome going on as well when you're not given that proper support from your leadership. Yep, exactly. You know, and I think about imposter syndrome, I think about past uh, experiences that I've had in the workplace Mm -hmm. where I've had leadership tell me, oh, yeah, that's great that you did that. But, mm, you know, if you want to really be here, you need to do this. You know what I mean? Or, yeah, you, you did all that. I was working my behind off, you know, mind you, but you did all that. But, mm, you know, you want to be over here. So I've literally had those conversations with leadership who also, I think they help you foster that imposter syndrome because they're not building you up. They're not, um, you know, giving you the capacity to do more. Right. They're just saying, oh, great. You did all of that by yourself, but mm, still not enough. Right. Right. So I don't know. I think I think to your point, being in this space we got to be more cognizant of that, we too. Do. Yeah. Right. I think two things, like, 
raised for me, like, as Akua was speaking, like, first of all, like, people are always moving the goalposts for us. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll achieve one thing and then, oh, you got to do. I remember when I interviewed, in, interview, I was already <laughs> doing the role. But I remember when I interviewed for my role, they were like, what's your management philosophy? I was like, for what? I'm already managing people. <laughs> if I was the white man at this table right now at this interview, would you be asking me what's my management mm -hmm. philosophy? And, and I feel like a lot of times the goalposts move a lot for us. How many times we have to prove that we need yes. promotion? Yes. Why do I need to prove yeah. I'm already doing the work? Right. Yes. And so I think, like, there's a lot of, like, moving of the goalposts. Right. And I think, like, one thing you have to be careful and cognizant of is, like, we are people that are accelerating through our careers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, like, making sure that companies don't, like, tokenize us. Yes. And make sure we're not, like, working alongside, like, other people of color to build collaboration and, like, community. Because right. mm -hmm. that, that happens all of the time. Right, right, right. That's a really good point because the yeah. tokenism thing mm -hmm. definitely exists. And I think in this space, right, mm -hmm. like where it's, we got this person of color, they're perfect, they mm -hmm. look the image, they got all the, they check all these boxes, but at the end of the day, they're not necessarily given the real support to do the work that they're trying to do. Right. You're in this position, just be quiet, be cute. And, and shut up. Right. Take a, and take a picture for <laughs> take our website. A picture. Exactly. Yeah, take a picture for exactly. our website. And, but also, too, you know, when you get into these spaces, you want to make sure that you're upfront and intentional of mm -hmm. what you're trying mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. And for me, I recently started a new position and I was intentional as to what my goals are. First year, second year, from and third year from mm -hmm. the get go. Yeah. And for and for them to realize that. DEI does not just lie within my, my office and me, yeah. but it lies with everyone. Yes. And so this is what I need you to do. This is how I'm going to support. And these are the initiatives that I'm going to roll out. Right. And so you need to make sure that everyone is on board with that as well, you know, when you get into, into these spaces. And I think, you know, people who are interested in doing this work, as we're talking to that audience um, who listens to us as well, mm -hmm. make sure that you have that support up front mm -hmm. in doing these roles. Make sure that you are, are up front getting that support to your right. point because a lot of times, you know, it's all it's all the talk. Right. Right. It's right. all the talk but no backing. So right. make sure you got a budget, some yes. resources. Yes. Because it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we're just going to put you in this role. But unless you have that backing and that support, it really doesn't mean much. Right. Yeah. I think, like, you definitely need to know that the I, like, the inclusion work is the hardest one. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, the like we can go out and find some people of color, like, um, black, indigenous, or other people of color. We can go out and find those people. But if they're not supported, like, the retention is going to go. Yes. <laughs> yes. We talk about right. that all the time. And then, like... I think so, like, that part and then the budget. And I would say also with DEI work, make sure it's not a line item of HR. Mm, it's not a function yes, of HR. Yes, Don't do that. <laughs> yes. I just said that today in a meeting. So this cannot be a function of HR. Yeah, yeah. This has to be a C-suite level yes. reporting directly to the person up top. Yes. So you have that autonomy with a board member, whoever the case may be, because it's not just an internal lens that you're looking at. Right. You're looking at the external piece as well. Right. Um, so it needs to lie out of HR, like you said. And, I mean, it, the reality, too, is... HR, I, there's there's definitely synergies there, right? Oh, there's yeah. synergies with HR yeah. that we need to take into account. But HR is also compliance. Yes. So they're looking at keeping the company safe, keeping the company afloat. Um, whereas I think DNI sometimes will push the lens a little bit more to say, look, let's try something different. Um, mm -hmm. HR sometimes is more of that safety net for organizations that keep y'all out mm -hmm. of trouble. 
How how radical can I be if like my sole job function is to protect the interests of the company? Yeah. And I know for me, like I'm gonna push the envelope. Right. So like, what does that look like if it's like a part of HR? So I think, in my mind, like my belief is that DEI has to live solely as yeah. its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So one thing you said, too, though, that in the inclusion piece is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, the inclusion work is so, I, it's very nuanced. Mm-hmm. I think, like, a lot of times I see with organizations I'm working with, I'm coming in, there's been, like, this big PR fallout. Mm-hmm. And so we have to do, like, racial healing work before we can do any work. Or... I'll come into an organization and I do like a landscape analysis and I'm finding out all types of issues <laughs> that I didn't know about because mm-hmm. people, leadership will assume the people of color haven't said anything. So not, so mm-hmm. it's inclusive. Or they, <laughs> right. or they haven't quit yet because <laughs> we still need our check. Mm-hmm. They haven't quit yet so the work is inclusive and that, that just generally isn't happening and it could be happening because a people's interests lie like with compensation uh-huh. or it could be b they don't feel safe enough to speak mm-hmm. like your actual culture right is like not safe enough to speak around inclusion so the inclusion work for us um we generally go through like identity and then socialization mm-hmm. and then once we go through socialization then we start to talk about the other things that people initially hire us for, like bias and microaggression right. and things like that. But it's, it's very important for us to lay the foundational work right. because we don't want you to think like my identity, say, for instance, my identity, um, I identify as AAPI, so Asian American or Pacific Islander. Mm-hmm. And like the way that I navigate the world, I don't want you to think that you have the same oppression as me as right, a black woman because it's very nuanced. Got you. And like that brings back in intersectionality intersectionality like the work that Kimberly Crenshaw does Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it like shows us that like there are all these different intersections and we are both privileged and oppressed with every part of our identity and so like that's the work that we do first Mm -hmm. and so like once we lay that foundation we start to get into the other piece Mm -hmm. but like I will say, like, overall, like, I can go out and make your recruitment strategy. <laughs> like, like, I can do that work easier. But, like, the work around inclusion is the work that you really have right. to put in time with. Right. I think right. T- you said it, right? You can recruit all you want. People will come on in. But how long are they staying? How mm-hmm. long are they staying? You know? Right, right. And, and to your point, too, don't assume that everyone's story is the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I just had a conversation with someone about the, quote, unquote, African American experience, and I hate using that word African American, but for the sake of the conversation, African American experience, and I have some friends who are African, I have friends who are Mm. from the Caribbean, and it's like, it's not the same experience, you know, Um, and someone said, well, you guys are all black, it's not the same, you know, just like it's, you know, all white people aren't the same, it's the same type of conversation, so you can't assume, Um, but to your point, you know, the inclusion piece, like you said, it's the difficult part, and it's the most uncomfortable conversation, too, (laughs) (laughs) so, I think you also mentioned, like, psychological safety, Mm -hmm. which is something that I know we've talked about in um, past episodes, but... It, unless you have that up front, people mm-hmm. will not be honest. No. People won't be honest yeah. unless you create um, some type of space mm-hmm. for, for people to feel comfortable bringing up these ideals. Because you talk about socialization. We're taught right. go to work, mm-hmm. to keep your head down, right? you know, do what you need to do, and go home. Right. And um, oftentimes we're not really in a position where we're comfortable or 
in a space where we want to give that type of feedback either. Right. Yeah, right. Agreed. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's definitely a lot when you are a DEI practitioner and then you are also a black woman yeah. in this space and you're telling organizations what they should be doing. And now you're showing up maybe experiencing imposter syndrome, but knowing that you have a job to do mm-hmm. and that you are validated based off of your past experiences, you're bringing all of this into one space. Right. And a lot of times we're bringing this, you know, every morning we're getting up and we're bringing this into our jobs. We're bringing this, like you said, into our professional spaces. We're bringing this even to a, to a podcast setting. Right. You know, all of this stuff that we're battling every day. So I guess my question is, how do you kind of get past that imposter syndrome? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you show up and making sure that people know, like, I I am here and this is what I'm here to do. I think like what you mentioned earlier is like one key component. It's like getting clarity up front. Like even mm-hmm. in proposals, I'm like, look, we're not going to tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> we're going to tell you what you need to know for right. your organization to be inclusive, but we're not going to tell you what you need to hear. And I think just like that clarity up front, whether it's a job that you're applying for, like this is how I'm going to show up. I think there used to be like memes like me at the interview and then me 90 yes. days into yes. the role. Yes. No, how I'm showing up at the interview is how I'm going to show up throughout the role because yeah. I don't want you to think that I'm getting in this um, role and I'm not going to create space for myself mm-hmm. and then for other people of color as well mm-hmm. right so i think that the clarity piece up front is like super important to like navigating new spaces i also i would say like some of it is self-work mm. like let's talk about let's mm. unpack that like, how many minutes we got look, we gotta we dive on in can we skip the gym <laughs> listen say it again that is yeah. you need to repeat that i think some of it is self-work for sure like what they call it shadow work yes mm-hmm. yeah i think when you are thinking about navigating these spaces, because a lot of days you're going to be pissed, especially Mm, if you're a practitioner. Mm. Like, the emotional tax of, like, the work that you're going to do. You running, if you're running affinity spaces, you're running allyship Mm -hmm. spaces, you're doing any of that work, you're taking that emotional weight home. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, the fortifying yourself and, like, my Mm -hmm. own skills and, like, what I can do is, like, one of the most important things to, like, cut through imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a really, that's like a gem of the day right that is a gem of the day right there because I mean it's I I think about the difficulties that we all go through external Mm -hmm. to work right like Mm -hmm. you bring that to work every day you can't shed that skin at the door Mm -hmm. and be like oh yeah I forgot that this happened like you wearing that and on top of that trying to create more inclusive spaces for other people of color Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. woo so what I mean what's your self care routine look like what do you do for yourself I am deep in therapy. Okay. <laughs> I am yeah. deep okay. in therapy. Um, I've been with my therapist almost three years now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows me well. She drags me often. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am deep in therapy. And then I I feel like a morning routine is, like, super important. Mm-hmm. Just, like, finding time and space to, like, be disconnected. Yeah. I am also, like, very strict with my boundaries. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's, like, something that's real, like, I got, I, I told Kendra I got online this morning. I missed the whole meeting yesterday. <laughs> but that's because, like, I didn't open my it laptop for It was my for, meeting, y'all. It was my <laughs> meeting. It was your meeting. It was uh-huh. my meeting. <laughs> I didn't open my laptop for four days, but that's because, like, I was, like, this time is set aside intentionally for me to, like, decompress from work. Okay. And I think there's a book, um... 
I want to say it's called boundaries, just mm-hmm. of, yes. like yes. on its own. Yes. yes. And yep. I think like setting those strict boundaries around what you are and are not going to do, mm-hmm. yes. it, it shows people like how to deal with you. Yeah. Like out the gate, again, that original clarity, but it also keeps you sane because you don't have to keep on reminding people that I'm not. Like when I was teaching, it was really bad. Like, Teachers are expected to be on call like at 8 o'clock at night. And I came to work all the time and was like, accounting is not running a balance sheet at home at 8 p.m. So don't expect me after 4.30 to be doing any of this work. And I think like strict boundaries is like definitely a part of self Oh, yeah, that's definitely important. Like after a certain time, I put my phone on do not disturb. Yeah. And then it doesn't come back off until the next morning. So you're right. Boundaries are imperative i've gotten better with that but i used to struggle yeah with that for sure like you know with boundaries and just being available all the time i think i've been in roles where we did have community meetings eight nine o'clock you know at night and i was just used to kind of being on but i also burnt out and i think Mm -hmm. that taught me girl you got to take a seat right you gotta you gotta um you know make sure that you're taking care of yourself in that way and i think that's really a really right. good point. I think, and I think it's even tied to imposter syndrome because I think early on in my career, I was like, I don't deserve this role, mm-hmm. so I need to be working all the time. Sometimes more hard. Like, people need to be calling me. I need to be on call all the right. time. And, like, once you, like, start to feel, like, more secure in your yeah. skills, you're mm-hmm. like, nope, actually, I'm going to be here for me. I'm going to be mostly on calls from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And like, I'm going to be checking emails from 9 to 10 and 3 to 4, but I'm not going to be giving you all of my time. How did you get to that point, though? I mean, did you... Did you have, like, a burnout? Did you... Definitely a burnout. Okay. <laughs> Definitely a burnout. Like, I remember one time I was, like, crying. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to get on a flight because I was traveling a lot, mm-hmm. like, yeah. prior to COVID. I was supposed to get on a flight. I want to say it was, like, my first year in my role. I had met with a teacher mm-hmm. at, nine, at 8 p.m., and I had coached a teacher from 8 p.m. to 9.30. I didn't even have time to pack. The next morning was my flight, and I was, like, sitting in my living room, like, cry- sobbing. Wow. Like, I cannot continue to, like, do this work like this. Right. And I think, like, once I reached a point of burnout, I was like, this is not healthy for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I have to operate differently. But, yeah, definitely burnout. Yeah, I'm definitely learning that. I remember I had a similar experience where I sat in a car one time crying like sobbing this is about Mm -hmm. two years ago because i think after work i went to like four different places i missed an event because i got there too late and i'm literally in my car as a grown woman yeah Mm -hmm. like sobbing because not even sobbing full out tears like crying because i felt like i'm like i'm not doing something right Mm -hmm. but i was doing i was right I wasn't taking care of myself. That's what I wasn't yeah. doing right. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the world is still going to turn. Right. Still, you know, things are still going to get done. And on top of that, one thing I had to do for myself is rely on a team. Yeah. Yeah. And I go back to those fundamental yeah. practices that I learned mm-hmm. in college playing basketball is to rely on your team. Right. And to trust your team, too. So that's really important. I think the other piece, too, like I've seen it was an article that came out recently talking about how depression shows up in, in mm-hmm. people, too. Mm-hmm. And they talk about black women specifically and how black women might be depressed, but feel like they're failing. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what shows up in that space where it's just like, I'm not doing enough. I'm, I'm failing at this. But the reality is you're depressed or you're burnt out or you're overwhelmed. And I think often, you know, that goes hand in hand, too, with that whole superwoman um, yeah. 
you know, definition too, and how we're supposed to show up. We can do this. We can do this. And we're mm-hmm. Teflon Don, but at the end of the day, <laughs> we all, you know, need some rest and we all yes. need some respite. And I think yes. that's something that I've definitely had to learn throughout my career as well. Right. Right. So what's for the people, what's your favorite pastime? Just in general to like do at home or like, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I like to cook. Like, girl, I be seeing some of the meals that you be making. I like to cook. Like, I don't know. I'm like, if I'm at home, I'm I'm gonna find me something, some southern food to make in my house. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like I I like to cook. Um, I definitely love gardening, but if I had to pick one, I definitely love to. Do you like set the tone? You put some music on when you cooking. Music, candles. Yeah, I love cooking. Yes, that's dope. That's dope. So I mean, we we got time. We, we wanted do. the black uh, the black gem of the day. Yes, you have a gem of the day. You I mean, we think we talked about the mental health. Do you have anything yeah, that's else? True. I would say like the only thing I would say is like watch how you processing things. Mm. Like when you in the comments, <laughs> girl. Akua. Yeah, I'm I'm chilling. <laughs> watch how you're processing things when you're when you're thinking about like not just imposter syndrome, but like being in this work because like. I've seen people, they're like, oh, I just got to keep working or I, like, got to work through this. Mm -hmm. But if you're, like, you got to know what your triggers are. Like, for me, like, I noticed, like, if I feel like, oh, for instance, there are, like, a few things. Like, if my desk is not, like, straightened up and, like, if my, like workspace is messy i'm like i'm not i'm not processing something right like you got to identify your triggers Mm. and know you're processing right because you have to be careful with that messaging too because like as a manager i can't be like i just work through everything because my team is going to think it's acceptable for them to like work through everything Mm -hmm. and like that's not the precedent that i want to like show for them like as a human centered manager i want Mm -hmm. them to take Mm -hmm. care of themselves and like be well Mm -hmm. in this work and so like i would say like just watch how you're processing things like if you notice like you overexerting yourself to like try to prove something or yeah like just just be cognizant of what you're doing like okay the past three months i've been getting off work i've been working till seven and they're gonna post this job before i'm in the ground let's always say that listen So, like, I would say just, like, watch how you're processing. Like, take inventory of yourself, like, all the time. Yeah. That's I always great, say you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you cannot. Like, you have to take care of yourself first. Right. But that's I deep. like that, Jen. Mm-hmm. I like that, Jen. Yeah. See, she had one. I knew you had one. Right. <laughs> one, more, right. one more in right. you. Right. So, for all of our listeners, um, where can we find you on social media, your podcast, yeah, company, all of that. Just plug all it in. Oh, okay. So the Pivotal Paradigm Project, you can find us online at www.pivotalparadigmproject.org. We're on Facebook and Instagram as the Pivotal Paradigm Project. We're on Twitter as Pivotal Paradigm. Our podcast is the Sick, Tired, Transcendent Podcast. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram at Sick, Tired, Transcendent. And our Twitter is Sick, Tired, Pod. And our emails are team at pivotalparadigmproject.org and sick.tired.transcendent at gmail.com. 
Go on, did you guys get it? Y'all got that? Y'all got that? Right. I have to rewind. Right. Rewind and listen to that again. Yes, yes. She's like, add me. Right. So, but no, thank you for coming on to our podcast. We definitely appreciate you. I've learned a lot of things like taking, you know, personal inventory of what you've done in the past, making sure you document so you can see exactly what you've done, your experiences and what you bring to the table. So that's something I'm going to take from Mm. this podcast Mm. and from your experiences as well. So I appreciate that for sure. So, I mean, our, for our listeners, we're really excited to be on episode four. This came episode quick. Episode four. This came really quick. Congratulations to you guys. Thank, thank you. you. Um, but shout out to one of our listeners who actually gave us the topic, yes. Anton. Thank you so much yes. for he, listening. He hit us up. He told us how to, you know, indoor plants was good for it. Because, you know, me, I'm not. <laughs> you already know I'm not about the plant plants life. Plants with no water and what <laughs> else? No sun. She, she was looking for plants with no water or sun. And I'm he, still looking. So cactus and air plants. Yes. Right. Right. I'm still looking. She needs an air plant. I think that's what yes. you need. However, I brought us a snake plant. Oh, but snake that's plants not, are good. But they're it needs pretty light. resilient. Yes, it needs like they just are resilient. Just a little bit. I mean, they grow faster in light. But yes, yes. So I, I just bought one yesterday. I was kind of excited. Okay. Yeah. All right. I know. Step my, the plant game up. It's my third plant. So anyway, <laughs> but um, but yeah, no. Thank you, Anton, for this wonderful topic about imposter syndrome. So again, if you guys have any topics, message us. Make sure that you know you get to us so we can discuss that on our podcast. Yeah, and we're looking forward to talking with y'all next week. Right, so make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Gems Dive In Podcast. And we will see y'all next week. All right, see ya, Kua. Bye. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Black Gems Dive In Podcast. Make sure you rate and subscribe on all of the major streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow us on our social media platforms at Black Gems Dive In on Twitter and Instagram and at Black Gems Dive In Podcast on Facebook.